feel this in my spirit. I feel like somebody's really searching for answers right now. And the Lord wants you to stop searching for answers and start searching for Him. Because when you find the answer, it's not going to give you the joy that you think it's going to give you. You're just going to be more informed is all you're going to be. (laughs) But if you'll search Him when the answer comes, it's not going to knock you off course. So quit searching for the answers and start searching for Him. Start searching for Him. Amen. Amen. Wow. Love you guys. Is it Christmas yet? I don't even think I've turned the corner. I think I'm still like in Thanksgiving. I'm still eating Thanksgiving leftovers, matter of fact. My wife gets mad. She's like, that's got to be old by now. I'm like, smell good to me. (laughs) I ain't scared. (laughs) Touch touch him, Lord. (laughs) We buying food poison right now in Jesus' name. I'm still eating on some birthday cake. What was that, November 18th? I'm not afraid. Mm. Man, God is so good. Hmm. What will we do without him? All right, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verse 17. Can you believe we've tracked every verse of Ephesians up to chapter 4, 17? And so we're still, still going forward uh, in that. Chapter 4 is, is really the hinge of the book. The first three chapters really talk about what God has done for us, what God has done in us, what God has done between us and our brothers, how in his body he removed the enmity between us, where he, by his grace, removed the sin that was in us, and God didn't ask us to do anything. God did everything to make that possible, and so he's pulling us into this reality with him, and he's not just doing that. He's bringing us into himself, where Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are seated with him in heavenly places. So God is making a big deal about our position. Okay, He's making a really big deal about our position and what he's done for us, in us, and between us. And then chapter 4 is the hinge. Therefore, anytime you see a therefore, read a front of that to find out what it's there for. Okay, so every awesome thing in chapter 3 where the Father has had this tremendous plan that it's reached its climax in Christ, the salvation of the world to reveal the glory of God, all that happens in Jesus was planned by the Father. God is not on plan B. And he's not on plan B for your life. Satan wants you to think that you've wrecked it, that you've messed it up, that some decision you've made has train wrecked you. That might be true in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, every sin that we've committed is in him, and Jesus has made a way for you to be reconciled with him. You can be repent of your sin, be forgiven, and be right back on the right track with him. God will never leave you, never forsake you, and he's working all things together for your good. And when it says all things, you know what that means in the Greek? All things. Come on now. All things. All things. Together for the good. Oh, you can't mean that one thing I did. Oh, yeah. God saw that and still did what he did. You didn't catch him by surprise. So the reason why Paul's making such a big deal about this, so he says, now that you know who you are, I need you to walk in it. I need you to walk in it. I need you to walk in the finished work of Christ that he's done. I need you not to walk like the world walks. I need you to walk like I walk. 
Did you know that you bear the name of God? Come on. You bear his name. That he thought so much of you that if you're in Christ, he puts his name on you. That everywhere you go, you're bearing his name, his image. So God didn't do all that so that you could just go and do whatever you want to do, okay? (laughs) He wants you to walk in it and steward the beautiful things that he's given you, okay? It's like Adam. What what day was Adam created on? Sixth day, last day. So what was Adam's first day? Seventh day, which was God's what? Adam's first day is God's rest. So in Christ, what do you think your first day is? So as God created everything in six days, and then he creates Adam, Adam's to walk in God's rest. To walk in what God has created and to reflect his image in the work that God had already done. That make sense? So he takes that picture and Adam shipwrecks it anybody ever shipwrecked it come on now has anybody ever just capsized come on now so why is sin such a big deal because God is an angry ogre that loves to punish people no you're bearing his image in his name And if you wreck that image and wreck that name, what are the nations going to say about you? And what are they going to say about him? You lead me into the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. It's kind of like when you first started driving, right? And you got grandma's Buick. To learn how to drive, right? <laughs> Why? Because if you wreck the Buick, hey, <laughs> are you okay, baby? <laughs> but you didn't get the keys to the Cadillac, because that wouldn't have been you okay, baby. That'd have been I'm on a. Why? <laughs> so the reason why sin is so grave. It's not because in and of itself it's terrible. Sin is so grave because the image and the value that you have is so great. To reflect anything other than him would be a disservice to him. That it's your value that you mean too much is why sin is so terrible. Because it keeps you from operating in the value that you have, which is to be made and bear the image and name of God. And that's what it is to use God's name in vain. To use God's name in vain is not to use God's name like a cuss word. It's the way you were taught. You could say anything, but you say that one thing, Grandma, huh? That's nice and respectful, but that's not using God's name in vain. To use God's name in vain is to say, you are my God, but to live a life that's not according to that reality. It's to say he's my God and that I'm bearing his name, yet I'm not walking according to his commandments and statutes. And so I'm using his name as if he is something, but there's not a corresponding reality in my life. That's why sin is so grave. Because it's robbing us of our value, which is we're made in the image of God. And since we're made in the image of God, we're to reflect his glory in all that we do. That's why Paul sees little things as big things. It's not to be nitpicky and create a bunch of rules. It's to understand the value and the calling that is in our life. Which is to bear his name. 
to be his people so that the nations would see the goodness of God flowing through us and say, I got to get in on that. What kind of goodness and life is it going to take for the nations to stand up and take notice of the image of God in us? Let me rephrase that. What kind of goodness and blessing and purity would we have to walk in for our own nation to stand up and not mock the church of God but say, Something real is there. Yeah. So there's a lot at stake because God has done so much for us. This is the logical conclusion to Paul to walk it out. To walk it out. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. It's the picture there of a signet ring when they would do an old letter or scroll and they would press that image into the wax so that you'd know who it was from and that it would be sealed not to be opened until the right time and by the right person. So the Holy Spirit, he's put his God's name on us and imprints that on us and seals us as a foretaste of the glory to come. And God's done all that in us and if we consider it precious, we'll allow it to affect every part of our life. Every part of our life. That there's no part insignificant unto God. There's no part that God doesn't want to touch, that God doesn't want to heal in our life. So that's what chapter 4 really breaks down and starts to, starts to open up. Chapters 1 through 3 is our position in Christ. Chapter 4 through 6 is our practice on earth. So how do I walk down here while I'm seated up there with him? Because if I don't keep my eyes on my position, I'll probably live out a standard that's less than his plan for my life. So he wants, to know, he wants us to really understand our position so that when we walk it out, we'll understand who we are. That for Paul, behavior doesn't flow out of, I'm going to tell you what to do. Behavior flows out of, you need to know who you are. And when you know who you are, then you can start to change. Then I can tell you what to do. What normally happens is people try to tell us what to do and we never figure out who we are. <laughs> and that's the weakness of the law that Paul talks about. He said the law is great. The problem is nobody can keep it. The boy Christ sure kept it. And so in him, since I'm seated with him, since he's my brother and God's my father, Suddenly, I'm not performing to be something. I already am something. So I'm just walking in the reality of who I actually am. So it takes the pressure off, right? It's like the end of a game, like if you're down like, you're down like one point. No, you're down, yeah, you're down one point and you've got time, no time on the clock and you're shooting two free throws. That's some pressure. I ain't never been in that position because we got beat so bad in basketball. Like, it was just like, pad the stats. I'm going to make some free throws. Casey knows. We were a football school, man. We didn't like. Anyway, it's all up to me. That's a hard free throw. Now, what if you get fouled with no time left? And you're up 50 points. You're probably going to be shooting like this. <laughs> oh. It's not up to you. Because Jesus has already won. <laughs> so I'm just 
shooting out of a victory that I already have. So if I'm already seated with him, that's ruling language. When the Bible says that God rested on the seventh day, it doesn't mean God got tired creating the earth, right? Like God doesn't get tired, okay? It means that he sat down in his rightful place to rule. And in the place he's seated at, he gives Adam the authority to walk in what he created to reflect his image in the earth. So out of the rest that God's already got it, walk it out. Out of the rest that God already created the good works beforehand, walk it out. So suddenly, the pressure's off. That God's already pleased in Jesus and I'm in him. So now I have the freedom to have my sins covered where I can walk in relationship with him and figure this thing out. Always reminding myself that I'm already seated with him in heavenly places. Half of you is already there. And you're still trying to get there. So take the pressure off. Start trusting God with all you got. (laughs) And you're going to do more than you've ever done in your entire life. Because the only way you get burnout is in that. You, you worry about burnout? No, because the only way I'm going to get burnout is if I do it in my own strength. Well, Matt, you're too busy. You need to slow down. Well, if I'm doing it in his grace and God's giving me the okay, then how am I going to burn out if I'm operating in God's fuel, which is his grace? So if you're getting tired and burnt out, you need to ask yourself, what's your source? What are you working out of? What are you operating out of? So Paul wants us to make sure that we know you're not operating out of your own flesh. Because guess what? Your flesh, nothing good can come out of it. Zero. The only good that God can squeeze out of a human being is a human being that's resting in the grace of God. And by his grace, he can get a lot of glory out of a soul. A lot of glory. (laughs) Yeah. So we're kind of these big mirrors that are just reflecting his glory, reflecting what he's already done. Hmm. The effortless effort. The effortless effort. So the seventh day was God's rest. And Adam, he tells him to walk in it, everything I've created, and steward it well. That even Adam is a creation. <laughs> hey, created man, walk in what I've created and steward it well. That grace in its essence, boiled down to its simplest form, is this. I have been created. Do you know what, I don't even know if this is a word, ungrace is? Ungrace is, I create myself. And I define my own identity. And who I am. That grace is, I've been created, keep creating me. And this is the cry of everyone throughout the scriptures, if you think about it. What does David say? Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. He doesn't say, God, I'm sorry, I'm going to work really hard. He says, wait a second, I'm created and the only way I can finish this thing out is if God creates the heart and puts it in me so that I can finish this thing because I can't create. I've got to trust that he's already created it. I'm going to walk like he's already done it. Yeah. 
And that's the beautiful thing about grace. So what Adam did is basically usurped God's power and the dominion that God gave him. And he says, uh, I think I can create myself. And so Adam, instead of walking in relationship with God, and out of that relationship and the finished work of God, walking out what God had already created, Adam decides he's going to be a creator and he's going to order things. And when Adam and Eve fall, you read these series of curses, right? But if you'll read it closer, it's not God saying, I'm cursing you for messing up. Because if that was the heart of God, why would he walk into the garden and say, Adam, where are you? See, God's always looking for relationship and restoration. Where are you? Where are you, Adam? I'm about to curse you. I said, where are you? My heart's broken and there's been relationship broken. Let's fix it. Well, God, that gal you gave me. Ball use that probably at some point. Eve, what happened? Well, that snake man you made, <laughs> you see what happened? They start blaming what God created right. instead of saying, God, create a new heart in me. That was good. Come on. I just got that. Holy Ghost down love. Thank you, Lord. It's all him, man. But I'm learning to rest in this. Learn to walk in it. I got some notes, but hey. Holy Ghost got better notes than I could ever write now. It don't mean I don't study, but I'm going with him. Yeah. Can't do it in my own strength and in my own intellect. Who cares how smart I am? God speak one word to you and change your whole life. Yes. His power. So God pronouncing these things is not him pronouncing curse on humanity. He's saying, well, since you want to be in charge, this is what life looks like without me involved. Pain in childbirth. A power struggle between spouses. Let me show you how to end that. Just say, babe, you're in charge. <laughs> Until I need to be. <laughs> power struggle between who's in charge and power. He'll be over you, but you'll want his power, and so you'll... Somebody diving into Genesis right now. <laughs> Come on. And when God pronounces these things, he says, this is what life looks like without me. Not I'm mad at you because you messed up. I'm going to mess up this world. He's saying, if you want to have life without me, this is what it looks like. A big struggle. But you know God, he's so good. So in 315, he puts the promise of how he's going to set it all right. The seed of the woman is going to come. And that serpent's going to bruise his heel. But he's going to crush that serpent's head. That through a wound, Satan gets defeated. Christ on the cross is the wound that heals all the other wounds. 
So God said it back there in Genesis 3. And he's calling people to act like that's real even before Christ had actually died on the cross. So he calls a man by the name of Abraham. (laughs) Says to this man, I'm going to just start all over and create a new nation. A nation built on something pretty simple. God, I'm putting my faith in you and you're in charge. And I'm not going to usurp your authority. Was Abraham a perfect man? Mm Mm-mm. But he was loyal. (laughs) See, some of us look at the little particular sin issues in our life, and that's all we focus on. But when we do that, we become perfectionists and nitpicky and begin to develop a bad thought process of our own self-image. And then we think that if we had less of these issues, God would love us more somehow. But the reality is God is not going to love you anymore and he already loves you. So the quicker you get that, the quicker those little issues start to fade because you quit dwelling and looking at these particulars as if you can create yourself and make that any better anyway. Yeah. So this is what, this is the place God's getting us. And so he tells us, you're seated with me in heavenly places. Notice he uses that past tense. He doesn't say, you're going to be seated with me in one day. He says, no, you're already there. Act like it. You notice how Paul never gets into these big processes of how to get in and out of sin? He just says, yeah, you're seated in heavenly places. Quit acting like the Gentiles. How do I do that, God? I told you. You know who you are. Start acting like it. It's like everything flows from identity to God. And we feel like everything flows from performance. Well, I did good this week, God. I feel your smile on me. He said, actually, my smile never left. It was on you when you was in the pit down there, too. You're just so caught up in your own performance, you can't see that I love you no matter what. See, when you feel God smile because you did something good, you know what that means? That means you put your lot in with how you perform, not who you are. So God's got to squeeze the servant mentality out of us, teach us that we're sons and daughters, and then he can turn us loose to serve. So that's what he's got to do with the prodigals, right? Prodigal son comes home. Well, I messed it up. At least I can be a servant. Still trying to serve to get dad's favor. You're already a son. What are you doing? Step into it. So he performs the speech in his head, right? I know what I'm going to do. Say, dad, I'm a servant. I'm no longer a son. I'm just going to come. Hey, I'm just here to live in the barn. I'm just going to stay in the back row and never come up and try to do anything for you. I'm just going to serve. God sees him coming over that hill. He's been looking every day. And the calf is fatted, which means he had already been getting ready for a party. He's just waiting for him to come home. (laughs) He didn't say, oh, here he comes. Hurry up and fatten that cow. He's like, fatten the cow. He's coming home. Might have took 10 years, but keep fattening that cow. Because he's coming home. He just doesn't know who he is yet. The Bible says when he was in, I'm sorry, we're going to get in Ephesians probably. I might just, I just might have to just read it. I might just have to just read it all the way through and say, we did it. And then move on. So it just says what it is. When he's in this pit and he's not eating what pigs are eating, he's jealous of what the pigs are eating. Which tells us he's lower than a pig at this point. And the Bible says that when that happened, he came to himself. So he goes home, rehearses the speech. What does dad do? 
He runs out, doesn't even let him walk home. Some say, well, I'm going to wait till he comes back. No. He runs to the hill, falls on his neck, and starts weeping. And he starts in with his servant speech. Here's my chance. That he's so caught up in being a servant, he can't even accept that his dad's already loving on him. <laughs> he can't even feel the hot tears coming down his neck. Because he's so busy rehearsing some servant speech that he's calling repentance. And God didn't even address the servant speech. He just starts putting shoes on his feet and a ring on his hand. And he puts his best robe on him. He says, come on. Let's go back into town. And so here comes big brother. What's up with this party going on? The Bible says he leaves the house and walks out. So what does the father got to do? Got to leave the party to go get the one. He said, how do you throw a party for this guy? I've served you all my He says, all I have is yours. You already got it. Why are you basing your worth on the fact you were a little more faithful than little brother? He's pulling us out of servanthood and said, I need you to know who you are before you take one step and walk in obedience. And we got a lot of people with giftings and talents, but they don't know who they are. So as soon as that position shuts down, they mad and ready to go. Why? Well, you just crushed their identity. Because they weren't operating out of who they are. They're operating by how well they could serve. And so this is what Paul's doing. You're saved by grace, not by works. <laughs> oh yeah, the works that you're walking in, God pre prepared those beforehand. Oh yeah, and you're his workmanship anyway. <laughs> it's like he's robbing us of everything we could put our faith in to say, you're my sons and daughters, get that first. And when you get that, you can walk it out. You can walk this thing out. And so this is where Paul's taking us, Ephesians 4. See, we're going to get there, I told you. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. So I say this and insist in the Lord. That you no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking. So what's God telling us here? Now mind you, Ephesus was a Gentile church. Almost all Gentiles. But he tells them, don't live like Gentiles. Paul's talking to them based upon their identity of who they already are. So Paul is identifying their identity and then, then calling them into obedience after establishing that first. If you're going to try to put rules on people before they know who they are, they're going to crumble when they fail because they're going to feel like because they failed, they're not that anymore. So we don't operate in this place of throwing rules on people. Throwing burdens on people. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Because you know what will happen? The rule followers are going to stick their chest out and think they're really good. And then the guy struggling over here said, well, I'll never measure up to that. But what happened? Grace is lost in the whole thing. Nobody talked about Jesus. We just talked about who could follow the rules and who couldn't. But when people start to get a glimpse, when I... 
I'm just getting a little fraction of a sliver of this reality. But when you really start to know who you are and that you can't move God's heart, you're not big enough to move God's heart and make him stop loving you. Your sin isn't greater than God's love for you. It's not going to happen. But every sin issue comes down to I'm identifying with something that is not who I am in him. So he's telling this Gentile church, hey, quit acting like Gentiles. You're nations of kings and priests. You're God's people. Quit acting like them. And they're Gentiles. And they could have easily said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, we've been Gentiles a long time. I've only been saved a year. I got a pass. Paul's saying, uh-uh. You're not like that no more. That ain't who you are. That's not the real you. If you want to see the real you, you look to Jesus. Because <laughs> you're in him. You're in him. So Paul's telling them, don't walk like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Because they are callous, they have given themselves over to indecency. For the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So Paul is talking to this ethnically Gentile church and saying, quit thinking like Gentiles. You are the people of God. You are in Jesus. You're citizens of his kingdom. Verse 20, but you did not learn about Christ like this. If indeed you heard about him and you were taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. Again, he's, he's trying to help these Greek mindsets get this. Because in the Greek mindset, knowledge was more important than the actual reality of living it out. In other words, you could impress somebody with your smarts, with your Greek philosophy and your ability to be an orator or, or these kind of things. But the Jewish reality sees the person as a whole. The Jewish reality sees the person as a whole being. It doesn't parse it out. It doesn't say, oh, because you believe something, um, you've made it. Right? That's Greek thinking. The Jewish reality puts it all in the same package and says, if you've heard and you've believed then you're going you're gonna to know and you're going to walk, okay? So he's putting them in this place where they would know who they are and pulling them out of the futility of their thinking and pulling them into the way that God sees them. And when we begin to see ourselves the way God sees us, we can handle the stricter commands because we realize he's given us the grace to walk all, this thing, all these things out and he'll prepare us to walk all these things out, Okay? It says, you didn't learn Christ like this if you had heard about him or taught in him. Just as the truth is in Jesus, you were taught with reference to the former way of life to lay aside the old man who is being corrupted in accordance with deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now get this in verse 24. And to put on the new man... You know, as Paul talks about like putting on a new man, like putting on a shirt. Put on the new man who has been created in God's image in righteousness and holiness that comes from truth. Paul seems to just make this so simple. Quit acting like Gentiles and put on the new man, would you? And we want some kind of teaching to how to unravel all the mess in our life. 
Like we want to ask Paul, give us the order of how I put on the new man. Seven steps to putting on the new man. Seven steps to the best man you can be now. Paul's like, God's already done it. Put it on. Get out of the futility of your thinking like God can't do it by his grace and by his spirit and quit trying to get the intellect to make something happen that only God can do anyway. Get out of your head and the futility of your thinking. You're not Gentiles. You're not Greek philosophers. You're the people of God who've accepted God and he's put his name on you and he's bore your sins on the cross and he saved you. You're already saved. Act like it. Walk in it. That's all he's saying. It's funny, I always got to yell to get a clap. It's like, are y'all provoking me to be an angry man? Y'all clap when I just do a good point sometimes. Paul. It's like Paul saying, quit walking like Gentiles. You're in Abraham's family. You've been grafted into the root. That he's your source. Quit trying to find your source somewhere else. You're grafted in. You are in him. And there's nothing you can do about it. So go ahead and receive the nutrients from Abraham and the root of Jesse and all that. And put on the new man. Just like you put on a shirt. Well, I'd rather sit around and talk about my issues. Well, no wonder you're still walking in your issues. You're glorifying your issues and you're not talking about the one who's telling you to put on the new man. As if we identify something, it's going to make us better. If you want to identify with something, say, I'm a child of God, man. I'm a son and daughter of a king. Who's coming back to right every wrong. So how should we walk if that's the case? How do we walk if that's the case? Walk like Jesus, man. (laughs) He's the standard. He's the example. David's not the example. It's nice. Makes you feel better because if you messed up and God forgive him, you know, it's nice. Those examples are nice. But that's not our standard. Jesus is the model. He is the picture of the perfect image of God. And in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead. So the more you start making a bigger deal about Jesus... And you start saying, God, I want to see new glimpses of him. You'll know what to imitate because you'll be seeing it. But to try to imitate him based on somebody else's opinion of him. mm -mm. It don't work that way. It's that God wants you to see him for yourself. Put on the new man. Put on the new man. Take off that old man, put on the new man. That's what he says. That's how easy he makes it. Verse 25. Therefore, having laid aside falsehood, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Because we are members of of one another. Verse 26. Be angry. Some people just stop there and just live. That's their life verse. <laughs> I can be angry. Bible says so. Well, yeah, but I don't think you're supposed to live there, but whatever. Be angry and do not sin. So here's the time limit on that anger. You ready? Do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. In the context of relationship and speaking truth to one another and our neighbors, it sounds like we should be so eager to reconcile stuff with our neighbor that has hurt us that the sun doesn't even have the opportunity to go down. 
Matter of fact, we need to be like Joshua if we've got odd against a brother and say, Son, you stop right there. I've got to make this right. This is the place where Paul's calling us to. <laughs> Don't let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. Verse 27, and do not give the devil an opportunity. So it would sound like be angry and do not sin. There's an expiration date on your anger before the sun goes down. And if I'm able to do that, guess what happens? The devil doesn't have an opportunity to come into my life. If I don't make it right with my brother or my sister, guess what happens? That thing starts to fester. And it's kind of like concrete. If you've ever poured concrete, I did it for a few summers while I was in college. Not for the faint of heart, man. That's some hard work. But if you don't work that concrete while it's wet, forget about it. It's there. It's stuck. So what God's saying is work the concrete while it's wet and moldable and shapeable. Instead of letting it go on for 10 or 12 years and then it's stuck like a rock, piece of hard rock that you can't even move anymore. Thank you, Karen. What do we do without Karen? Thank you, Karen. Yeah. Verse 28. The one who steals must no longer steal. Instead, he must labor. Do you see how he brings it down? He told us like we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, like we're at the right hand of God, and now he's like, don't steal stuff. <laughs> like, don't lie to someone. The reason why Paul does that is he's saying, look, there ain't no little sins, dude. <laughs> Like you're in the image of God. You're at the right hand of Jesus. When people see you, guess what? You're the only Bible they're probably going to read. Let's just face it. I might be the only Bible any of y'all even read. Come on now. Let's just get real. So I got to steward the image of God. Steward who I am well. I'll prove it to you. How many of you were told things that you thought were in the Bible and then you went belly to belly with somebody and they said, no, that ain't in the Bible. And you said, oh, yeah, Grandma said that thing in the Bible. And then you went and researched it and you found out it wasn't in the Bible. That's how important our lives are. To reflect the message, the image, the name of God in the earth. So the one who steals, guess what? You're a son of God, a child of the king. You have, you're going to rule and reign with Christ. You're a king. You're a priest. You are going to live forever with God. And you're going to experience the pleasures of him all your life. You're going to get to lay eyes on Jesus for the rest. You're going to be in the new Jerusalem where the streets are gold. Don't lie and don't steal. You see how that hit? It's like, whoa. I can't do that stuff. I'm his. I'm his. That's what Paul's doing and saying, man, there's a lot of stake here. <laughs> Don't mess it up by some little sin that you're trying to hide or protect. Here's the deal. If you've got to hide it, You don't need it. <laughs> you got to hide it. You don't need it. Just go ahead and take that to heart. 
And he says, doing good with his own hands so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. See, in the Greek culture, if you worked with your hands, you were seen as less than. That's why them coming and preaching the gospel of a carpenter <laughs> that had no degrees. <laughs> Put your faith in this guy <laughs> with calluses on his hands. Yeah. Paul says, quit acting like Gentiles and thinking you don't need to get your hands dirty. Get over yourself. Stick your hands in this dirt. And get busy doing the work of God. Paul's saying, I'm not treating you guys like Gentiles. I'm treating you like the reality that you are. Sons and daughters of the Most High God. Kings and priests, a royal priesthood, a nation that is God is putting together by his gospel that's going to reflect the glory of God into the nations so that they might repent and give their life to him. That's your destiny. Verse 29, you must not let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. You see where he brings this thing down? He built us up and then he's like, don't lie, don't steal, don't be talking crazy. Why? Because he understands these little things lead to big things. Yeah, that's how it starts. You must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of the one in need. That it would give grace to those who hear. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, if something negative happens, the average person tells ten people about it. probably been running off telling stuff on me hadn't <laughs> no he's got a good heart ten things when something good happens guess how many people people tell on average but we're not Gentiles We don't walk in the futility of our old thinking. Our mind's being renewed in God's word. And we've been transformed by his grace. So we don't have to live like that. We don't have to live like that. We don't have to be the Google review guy. Who is that guy anyway? Only what is wholesome, what gives grace to the one that hears. Let's reverse that. Let's just start telling 10 people every time something cool happens. And when something bad happens, let's just make that a zero. Well, no, we'll make it one. We'll talk to God about it until he gets our heart right, and then we'll go on with our life. How about that? Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grieving here is a serious offense. Psalms, I think it's Psalm, no, it's probably, I think it's Isaiah, Isaiah 63. I believe it is. Recounts, it's only, there's only two times Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Old Testament. And one of them is Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 63.10. And Isaiah is recounting what happened to the children of God in the wilderness. How they grieved the Spirit of God and how it led them into sin. How they removed themselves from the nudging of the Holy Spirit, quit allowing that to be what moved them and started operating in their flesh in what they thought was right. And it caused the whole nation to sin. 
and it caused them to not be enter into the promised land for 40 years until everybody that operated in that mentality was gone so that a new generation could walk in. Which is odd because that generation saw all those miracles but yet couldn't walk in. It took a generation who didn't see any miracles to walk in. And we're still waiting on a miracle to believe. I'm just telling you, it doesn't change things. And since they did that, Moses got so tired of his people that wouldn't follow the Holy Spirit, what did Moses do? He strikes the rock. Guess who else don't get to go in? So the hard-heartedness of a people developed a hard-heartedness in a leader which kept everybody out. <laughs> so Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, man. Because if you do, this whole thing could fall apart. Don't grieve him. If he's moving on your heart, do it. Because he wouldn't be telling you if it was for your bad. He only tells you because it's for your good. I don't care how valuable you see that sin or that person. If Holy Spirit is saying, no, you walk away. Walk away. Verse 31. You must all put away all bitterness, or you must put away all bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, slanderous talk, indeed all malice. Verse 32, instead be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. So he brings it on down here. He says, I need you to leave these fruitful ways of living that are toxic. I need you to walk in forgiveness. And if you'll walk in forgiveness, here's your example of how to forgive Jesus. <laughs> that Jesus gives us a standard. we can look at and strive for that leads us into the places God wants us to go. But the only way I can go to the place God wants me to go is I've got to follow him. How do I do that? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow him. Let's pray. God, we just, we thank you, Lord. God, that we made it so complicated in our head. When the reality is, deny myself and follow you. We've made it so hard when actually Paul tells us to just put on the new man. We've thought of obedience as this big thing, like this Billy Graham crusade, and if we do that, God's going to be really happy. And Paul says, no, don't lie. Forgive one another. Don't steal. Work hard. Do the right thing. That the grandeur of Jesus and everything he's done for us in Ephesians 1 through 3 plays out in the most simplest parts of our life. And if we'll walk those things out, God will lead the nations to you. <laughs> that it's the simple things. That it's the little things. <laughs> that we find you in. It's the little things that give you pleasure. Not our performance, but who we are in you. 
So God, forgive us for looking over the little things, trying to reach for some big thing. Because you said when we're faithful over little things, you'll make us ruler over a lot of things. So Lord, we want to be faithful over these little things. Not in our own strength, but by the grace that you give. Because who, who else in the universe has an example of a God who sacrificed himself for his people? The gods of the earth ask people to sacrifice themselves for them. But you're a God who sacrifices himself for his people. So God, let that same mind that was in Christ be in us. We would humble ourselves and walk how you walked on the earth. Bless my friends today, God. Confirm to them who they are in you. So God, let us walk in our actual identity from that place we'll perform from that place we'll serve that we would run God's race at God's pace with God's grace 